Uh, well, let me pray for us, and we will we'll start. Heavenly Father, good morning. Thank you for the coolness of a beautiful morning. God, uh, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for uh, the passages we'll look at, and the story of how you approached uh, Joseph and Ahaz with a similar opportunity to follow you in faith. And enlighten us, help the scriptures come alive to us this morning um, in a way that sticks with us the next time we know what you want, but it feels difficult for us to do. Um, I, I do a work through this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this morning, um, I'm calling this little lesson, King Ahaz the Anti-Joseph. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Um, just so you know, the scriptures will be at are, will be in or down on the bottom uh, of that of the screen right now, and that'll be up there through the duration. So that if I say too quickly where we're headed, you can just glance up there. We'll be in several different places this morning, and here's why we are studying this in Matthew chapter one. Uh, Two weeks ago in sermon, in sermon time, we started and did the, the genealogy and hidden of Jesus, or of Joseph, actually. And if hidden in that genealogy in Matthew 1, 9, says, Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. And then all the way down in verse... Um, 16, we see Joseph's name. So this is, King Ahaz was Joseph, Jesus' adoptive dad's great, 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 grandpa. And turn over into Matthew, at the end of Matthew chapter 1. This is the passage we studied in the sermon time last week. This is the birth announcement of Jesus when the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, don't, uh, don't divorce Mary. I know she's pregnant, but she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Um, verse 22, Matthew 1, 22, Matthew writes, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That prophet is Isaiah, uh, who said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. And that story that we studied in the sermon time last week is when God confronted or came to Joseph and said, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to still marry a woman who's pregnant with that, with not your child. I know what people might say about you and about her, but I, and, uh, I, this is where I, the way I want you to go. And as we said in the sermon time, Joseph had a choice. Go with the Lord or go, up, may, go with what, something that might seem safer, better, um, whatever. And he chose to walk in the path of the Lord. And the reason that's very interesting is his Great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa Ahaz was in the room when Isaiah said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they're going to call his name Emmanuel. I want to tell you the story of how that came to be, because that is a prophecy that is uttered in anger when Ahaz makes the opposite choice that Joseph made. So, to get that, I've got to give you a little history lesson 
here. The story of King Ahaz, um, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. How many of you, you know, read, if you read First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, which is a lot of it's two tellings of the same story. How many of you read some of that and you can't follow what is going on very well? Uh, it's difficult. There's a lot of ancient, the original readers knew what these places were and who these people were. It would be a little bit like if you went in a time machine back then and started talking to them about uh, you know, the mayor of Perkins County, and, you t- and then you just talked about, well, then Dwight Coleman said this, and, you know, then I, we went over to Colorado, and these people, they would be like, what are you talking about? Um, so a lot of it is geography and just people we don't know that the original audience knew. Also, confusing things. Some of these places had different names for the same place. For example, I don't have my uh, pointer with me, but... Um, the places that will be in this story. Assyria is not the same as Syria, but, which is confusing all over. Uh, um, Assyria, their king is a guy named Tiglath-Pilneser. Uh, so like if you, baby names, Keatings, if you still don't know, Tiglath-Pilneser is a good idea, but he was kind of a bad guy, so maybe not. Um, Tig, for short, is good. Um, Assyria... <laughs> Assyria is different from, from Syria. Um, also, Syria is also called Aram. Okay, uh, ruled by a king named Rezin. The capital is Damascus. The North, Israel split into two kingdoms. Right? For a long story, I'll tell you a different time. And the northern kingdom usually kept the name Israel. So in this story, when we read, if we read Israel, it's only talking about the northern kingdom, which is also called Ephraim, and it's also called Samaria. Now, what kind of idiots would have different names for the same place? Says a guy standing in the United States of America, or America, or the USA. We have different names for our places, too. We just know exactly what we're talking about when they rattle off our tongue. Um, Ephraim is the main tribe of the northern kingdoms. Okay, Assyria, excuse me, Samaria became the capital by this time, so sometimes it's called Samaria. Um, Pika is, he's the king of, of the northern tribes. The southern kingdom of Israel is just called Judah. Its capital is Jerusalem. And King Ahaz is the, is the king of that. All right, here's your history lesson. I'll explain it. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version, and then we'll read at least one small version of it. Here's what you need to know to understand Ahaz's choice. Uh, Syria, or Aram, um, and the northern kingdom of Israel, Ephraim, they're in rebellion against the big dog on the block who was Assyria. Okay, so Assyria is the most powerful. And two places under Assyria's control, indirect control, is the northern kingdom of Israel and what's called Syria. And Syria and the northern kingdom of Israel wanted to rebel. They were in rebellion against Assyria, against tiglath Pilesner, or whatever his name is. Okay, so they're in rebellion. 
And they know they probably can't whip the Assyrians. So what they do is we need to strengthen our army. So they come to the king of Judah, a guy named Ahaz. And they say, Ahaz, we want you to be our ally in our fight against Assyria. Because if we fall, you know you will be next. Right? So, so you come fight with us. And Ahaz didn't want to do that. And they said, well, I'll tell you what, if you don't fight with us, you'll fight against us. And we, they threatened to attack Jerusalem. We're going to overthrow Jerusalem. We're going to kill you. And we're going to put a king on the throne of Judah who will support us and send men for the army and all that stuff. Um, Ahaz did not want to fight with the northern tribe. Even though they're related, they hated each other. The two, the two halves of Israel. If anything he would have been fine with the northern kingdom getting whipped. So here's what he wanted to do. Instead of allying himself with Ephraim, the northern tribes, and Syria, he wants to do an end run and ally himself with, with Tiglath-Pilneser. I'll ally myself with the big dog who's going to win anyway. If history teaches us anything, it's you want to always be on the winning side of a war right? So he says, I'm going to be an ally of the Assyrians um, instead, right? And that's when God uh, approaches him through the prophet Isaiah. Turn to 2 Kings. If you want to find 2 Kings, just find 1 Kings and you're almost there. 2 Kings chapter 16. And we're going to read just 11 verses, and it's basically the story I just told you. <clears throat> Second Kings chapter 16 begins this, excuse me, begins this way. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramalia, in other words, when that guy was the king of the northern tribes, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, like his father or his ancestor David had done. Verse 3. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, or Ephraim. And he, he made his sons pass through the fire, which means he sacrificed some of his sons to foreign gods. All right? Um, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. Child sacrifice, God is not a huge fan. Verse 4, He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, king of Israel, or Ephraim, came up to Jerusalem to wage war. And they besieged Ahaz, but they could not overcome him. I'll stop to tell you this. That alliance that wanted him to fight with him, they did attack, but, and they killed a bunch of people, took hostages, took territory from Judah, but they couldn't take the city of Israel. I mean, excuse me, the city of Jerusalem. So the king was safe. Ahaz was safe. Verse 6. <clears throat> At that time... 
Rezin king of Aram recovered Elath for Aram and cleared the Judeans out of Elath entirely. And the Arameans, uh, or the Syrians, came to Elath and lived there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pilneser, or Peleser, it says here, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. So there's where Ahaz strikes an alliance with Assyria against Ephraim and Syria or Aram. Verse 8, Ahaz, king of Judah, took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of Yahweh and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. That's Tiglath. So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus, the capital of Syria, and captured it and carried the people of Damascus away into exile to Kerr and put Rezin to death. So the king of Syria was killed. Verse 10, Now King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw the altar which was at Damascus, and King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the pattern of the altar and its model according to all its workmanship. So Urijah the priest built an altar according to all that, the King Ahaz, that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. Thus Urijah the priest made it before the coming of King Ahaz from Damascus. And we'll stop right there. All right, so there's the battle. Um, Ahaz is openly courting the Assyrians for his protection. Um, he goes so far as to, he goes and meets Tiglath in Damascus, the capital of Syria, which has just been destroyed. Or, and he goes up there and he sees an altar in Damascus, the Syrian capital. Is that an altar to the God of Israel? No. But he looks at it and goes, that's a good looking altar right there. That's better than that old thing God told us to build back in Jerusalem. And he writes, has the blueprints drawn up and sends it home so that he can replace the God of uh, the, the altar to Yahweh in Jerusalem with a, with a newer model. We're going to upgrade. <laughs> Turn to Second Chronicles, which is to the right, a couple of books. Second Chronicles 28. Second Chronicles twenty eight twenty two. <laughs> this is a loaded sentence. Really, this says it starts this way. Now, in the time of his distress, the same King Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord. So he got worse. All right, this is a guy who sacrificed his own children, <laughs> and and we just get told here. Well, now he really gets bad. <laughs> That's a bad guy. Um, verse 23, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them uh, so that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. Uh, and they start to worship other 
other gods. Now, why did Ahaz decide to start worshiping other people's gods? Yeah, right there in verse 23, because the gods of the kings of Aram, this is at a different time than the battle we just said, by the way, but regardless, because the gods of the king of Aram, the kings of Aram helped them, I'm going to worship their gods because they got what I wanted. So their gods must be better than my gods because we all know that gods exist to give us what we want. And what we just need to do is find the right God who can give me what I want. And that basically is the ancient view of the spiritual world. Gods were tools to be used for personal gain. Um, It's a very pragmatic approach to spirituality. How do I get what I want? How do I put... God's arm behind his back or some other God's arm behind its back because what I want is the most important thing. And that is Ahaz's religious view. All right, useful entities is what gods are. All right, that's the background so that we can understand. I told you all that just so I can tell you this. <laughs> Go to the book of Isaiah. Go to the right some more. Past Psalms and Proverbs, find Isaiah. And toward the very beginning of Isaiah, chapter 7, it's a big book. Here's one little story from inside all that time of all that fighting where Assyria is the big dog on the block. The northern tribes of Israel with Syria are rebelling against them. And they are threatening Judah and Ahaz. And Ahaz is deciding, do I side with Assyria or do I side with Syria and Ephraim? Whose side am I going to be on in this conflict? And he's going to get a a visit from the prophet Isaiah. And here it comes. In Isaiah chapter 7, we'll start in verse 1. Now it came about in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, or Ephraim, went up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not conquer it. Verse 2. When it was reported to the house of David, saying, the Arameans, or the Syrians, have camped, In Ephraim, they're allied with, they're preparing for war with our northern neighbors. His heart, Ahaz's heart and the hearts of his people, shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. There's some great writing right there. What was that? What's that a picture of? They're they're scared. They are scared. By this time, God has already told Ahaz to take no side in this conflict. Stay out of it. Trust me to keep you safe. Don't trust the Arameans. Don't trust the Assyrians. Trust me. But but verse 2 tells us, but this was so, so 
scary. God has said, don't make an alliance with Assyria. But there's a hostile army at our northern border, and we can't beat them. All right? And so he's shaking like a leaf, literally. All right, verses 3 through 9. God's going to come talk to King Ahaz through Isaiah. Then Yahweh, the Lord, said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and your son, Shir Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the Fuller's Field. Okay, so go up here and meet King Ahaz. Verse 4, And say to him, Take care, be calm, have no fear. And do not be faint-hearted because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands on account of the fierce anger of these two kings. Because Aram with Ephraim, the son of Ramalia, has planned evil against you. Don't be scared. Here's what they've said. Let's go defeat Judah. All right, that's verse 6. Now, here's all Isaiah is going to say to Ahaz. Ahaz, don't scared. Don't be afraid. What would Ahaz, what would his yeah but be? Yeah, but there's an army right there. Don't be scared. Why not? Isaiah 7 verse 7. Um, Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. Don't be scared. Why? Don't be scared that that army is going to defeat you. Why? Because God says they're not going to win. Now, is God going to bring a bigger army to make him feel safe? No. Um, There's a confusing verse there in verse 8. Just want you to look at the end of verse 9. Here's what God says through Isaiah to King Ahaz. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. So here's his decision, King Ahaz. God said, this is not going to happen unless you what? You are not going to be defeated unless you what? Read the end of verse 9 again. If you will not believe, you will not last. Um, if, if you don't believe me, you're in real trouble. So what does he have to do to make sure that the nation won't be defeated? He's just got to believe God. Just believe me, Ahaz. Just believe me. And that scary army will not defeat you. And then this is incredible to me. This is one of the most amazing passages. How many of you have ever thought... Well, I would believe if God would just show me something, right? If I could just see lightning flash, or if I could just see something, then I would know. All right, this is what Ahaz, God wants Ahaz to believe him. And so look what God does. Verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. And here's what God says Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as the grave or as high as heaven. You know what that God was saying? I want you to believe so bad. I'm going to do something I never do. You can ask me for any miracle you want. 
And I'll do it right now in front of you as proof that that this is me talking and I can pull this off. How crazy is that? How many people have wished for that moment? Um, God does not do this very often, right? He gives them a blank miracle check, right? Anything, sign from heaven, you know, walk on water, right? You want the Cubs to win the World Series, like anything. Um, The Royals and Cubs in back-to-back years, I mean, come on, the miraculous. Um, Verse 12, "Just, just believe me, I'll prove it to you. I'll give you any miracle you want. Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Um, That sounds good. I will not put the Lord to the test. Wouldn't that be? I mean, we're going to read, as we study through the book of Matthew, when people ask Jesus for signs, he's never going to talk good about them, ever. Um, But this is fake, pious baloney oh I would never oh I would never ask for some supernatural magic tricks to support my position you sacrifice your kids right you, you, you'll, sacri- you'll do anything spiritually that helps you at all uh, he's the most pragmatic guy alive Whatever works, I will do. He doesn't want to see a sign from God. Why would you suppose? He's already made up his mind what he's going to do. What what does he think will keep him safe from that army at his northern border? He has a choice to make. I can either believe God will do it supernaturally, or I can ask Tiglath and the Assyrians to do it physically. And he's already decided. And God comes to him and pleads with him and says, I just want you to believe. And if you need some evidence, like for the first time ever, name your evidence and I will do it right in front of you. And he says, I don't even want to see it. I don't even want to see it. He has already decided that siding with Assyria is safer. Right? Now, here this... It could have been a really good answer if he would have said, I don't need to to see it. I will believe you anyway, but there's no faith. If he would have said, I'm not going to test you and I'm not going to make an alliance with the Assyrians, then it would have been a good answer. But it's not. For what? He could have. He could have. All right. So now, now we get to the prophecy that showed up in the book of Matthew. So God said, you ask for a sign that I'm going to keep the kingdom of Judah safe. Right? Isn't that what God said? Ask for any sign. You just believe me and the kingdom will be safe. And you ask for a sign. And Ahaz said, no, thank you. I don't want a sign. In verse 13, then he, that's Isaiah, or it might be God, said, you listen here. (laughs) You listen now. Who? 
Who's he speaking to now? Listen now, O. Verse 13. House of David. Who has he been talking to? He's been talking to one person, Ahaz. Um, If you look at... uh, um, Verse 3, God talks to Ahaz. Verse 4, God talks to Ahaz. Verse 9, God talks to Ahaz. Verse 10, God talks to Ahaz. As soon as Ahaz says, I don't want a sign, in verse 13, the prophet says, Okay, he's, I'm done with him for now. House of David, everybody in Judah, I'm going to give you a sign. Here's the sign that I'm going to keep. The line of David and the kingdom of Judah safe. This is the miracle you look for. Um, then, he, then he says, Is it too slight of a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? That is to Ahaz. Then all the yous become pl- uh, plural. These are all y'alls now. Therefore, the Lord himself will give y'all a sign. Like, here's how big of a miracle he could have asked for. Okay, make a virgin pregnant. Right? He could have asked for something like that, but he didn't. And God says, all right, here's, here's the sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will be a loner. He'll eat cur- curds and honey uh, at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings that you dread will be forsaken. So before he comes, these, all these nations are going to be overrun anyway. Um, then in verse 17, he switch, switches back to talking to Ahaz and basically says, you've really done it this time, mister. <laughs> and, and you are, you are rejected. Um, that's why Matthew picks up this prophecy and says, basically, this, this is the sign we were looking for. Okay, but here's the lesson. Do you have questions about what just happened in the Ahaz story? I tried to make that as clear clear as I could. Just about the Ahaz story. I'm not understanding the, the significance of um, Actually, he'll be called Emmanuel. He'll be God. He will be God with us. He'll be called that. Um, he shall be called lots of things in other places. We go further down in in, really in this passage, and he'll be called Prince of Peace, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, he'll be called lots of different things. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. And that's why the angel says, name him Jesus, because his main job is to save people from sins. But he's also called all those other things, mainly. Or a role. Okay, I'm just going to try to stick with just with with this for just or moving forward here. Um, here's here's a 
Here's the lessons I think we learned from really these two guys. Do you see how Joseph and Ahaz, they're related directly? They got a similar choice. You just believe me. It's going to seem really scary and difficult if you follow me. But you believe me and follow me, and I'm going to do great things. Or you can choose to go with what is safer. Um, This is why I said last week during that sermon, God invites people, but he does not force people. Ahaz, God said, please believe. I mean, this is as close to begging as God ever gets. Please believe. I'll give you whatever evidence you need to believe. Ahaz says, no thanks. God invited him as hard as he could invite him. Ahaz says no. And God's plans for Messiah aren't thwarted, canceled. Uh, Within God's sovereignty. Now, did God know ahead of time this was going to happen? Sure. Um, Within God's sovereign plans, you and I, we have room to succeed or fail at a given crossroads, uh, follow and rebel at every single step of the way, um, experience blessing or discipline based on our choices. God is sovereign. He knew ahead of time, but he, he has not forced your hand. You are not a robot. You're, you're a person made in his image. Um, the best analogy I have of God's sovereignty and our choice coexisting at the same time, God's predestination and our ability to choose stuff happening at the same time. I don't know if it's a perfect example, but the cruise ship example is my favorite one, right? We all get on a cruise ship in, on the East Coast somewhere, where there's an ocean. We get on a cruise ship in New York, and that ship is headed for Italy, Right? The captain of the ship has decided we're going to Italy. Now, on the way there, you can play shuffleboard. You can, uh, you can hit the buffet. Right? There's different floors. You can gamble. You can get soused. You can, uh, you know, you, you, have all, you can even start, you can decide that you're going to be a pickpocket. You're going to break into rooms. You're going to steal stuff. Right? And you might wind up in the brig, I assume they have one on a cruise ship, I don't know, but where they put somebody, they can't throw you in the ocean, you might wind up locked in a cell the whole time you're there, but the ship is going to Italy. Even though all however many thousand people on there have lots of different choices they can make, they're never going to choose to not be on that boat that is going to Italy. That's outside their ability to choose. Um... Somehow that's how this works. God is directing the events of our lives to an appointed end, but we are still responsible for our choices. And at least at times, God even begs people to believe him. And they won't. Um, That's lesson number one in here. Lesson number two is there are two different mindsets a person who knows God exists can have. 
I call it pragmatism versus being kingdom-minded. A pragmatic view of life is in my logic, what do I think will, be, will feel best, will work out best for me today? That's, that is the way most people live, right? What pragmatically speaking would be the wisest choices for me to make? And that's a very different mindset than being kingdom-minded, which is, you know, what would Jesus do right now? It might be messy to get involved in the life of this person who is addicted and a danger to himself and whatever else. Pragmatically speaking, it might be easier to stay away. But what would, what would the Lord do? Um, what will work for me? What's the best way I can get done what I want? And what would the Lord have me do if he were literally directing my steps? Are two very different mindsets. Even though, when I am kingdom-minded, I also will be pragmatic. But one will overrule the other. And the last one, um, the last lesson of King Ahaz and Joseph, I love this, you are not defined for the good or the bad, by your heritage. Here's why I see it. Did you catch any of those verses? Do you know who Ahaz's son was that became king after him? Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a fantastic king who loved the Lord. And the first thing we're told he does is he goes into that temple that his dad had boarded up and he opens the temple back up and he gets the scriptures back up and he leads people. We, listen, this is a place where the Lord's name dwells. And his dad was about the biggest jerk of all the kings of Israel. He's in the, he's in the top ten. Um, you are not defined by, who, by where you came from. It, it, where you came from makes you part of who you are. It really does. It affects you. But if your background's a real wreck, you do not have to be. By the same token, just because your parents were good Christians doesn't necessarily mean you are. If your parents were kingdom-minded, you don't just inherit that. Um, Your choices matter. All right. Questions about any of that? We don't have much time, but all right. I think I will pray us out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you invite uh, people like us to be living, breathing, walking uh, participants in your kingdom. But God, in in your sovereignty, you still give us the responsibility to respond, to believe, and to obey. God, uh, give us a desire in our heart to be kingdom-minded, to really live with what you would do and what you would have us do to be a major part of our decision-making, not merely 
what will work for me to get my will done the best. And God, I thank you that um, like Hezekiah, like Joseph, um, our, you know, our heritage where it has been messed up uh, is not stronger than, than your call and your grace. God, uh, make us kingdom-minded and I just pray you'd bring us back to, to worship you and, and, and learn some more from the book of Matthew with our church family this morning. Be with us as we fellowship, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.